Are you guys done yet? <laughs> Can we get to business here? It's great to see you guys again tonight, and uh, as, as always, it is a, uh, it's a pleasure for me to be able to come back home, and I'm very grateful, Pastor Jeff, for uh, that, that opportunity, and uh, man, it's, uh, this is a great church. You guys uh, are just amazing, and uh, uh, my family, we love you guys dearly, and uh, I, I think I say this every time. We're just, we pillow our heads at night thanking God that Jeff Bartell is your pastor. Amen. And uh, yeah, I, I want to also say uh, with Pastor Jeff that he is not just blowing smoke when he's talking about those morning sessions. It, it is invaluable information that these brothers have have brought and I can't say enough uh, about that but uh, oh, I hope you got your sheets and we'll dive in we've been looking uh, over the last three nights we've been looking at uh, what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 what it tells us is that as the church we are the body of of Christ and what this this passage tells us as you can see I won't take the time to read it again but what this these two verses are teaching us is that Christ is the head and we are the body in other words he is the command center that puts everything that the body does into operation and, and the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27 that all of us are members we are the individual members of the body paul says now ye and, and that is the old english way of saying all of y'all <laughs> it, it is plural okay it's the plural form of you and that's why you see ye and you in the same verses it's all y'all, and then sometimes he gets specific. Now, but he says, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now, keep in mind that as he's writing this, he's writing to one single local church and telling them that they are the body of Christ. And, and we've talked in the morning sessions and here or there, uh, over the, the course of the last several nights, that there is a, a, a general or a universal aspect to the body of Christ in that every believer is a member of the body of Christ in a generic sense. Sometimes, you know, we refer to this as the universal church. And and again, I use that terminology. I don't like to use it, though, because uh, the word Catholic means universal Christianity. And I want to distance myself as much as I possibly can from anything that has to do with that. So we can, we can call it the universal church or the church in a generic sense. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27 lets us know that in a specific sense, 
the local church is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ that calls itself First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia. And all of the members, all of the individual members of this church, what it says are members in particular. And as a fellowship of churches, we've talked about the Living Faith Fellowship. Listen, we're very dogmatic about the fact that God carries out his will he carries out his plan in the church age through the local church or the local body of christ in fact we would go so far as to say that if you are not an active participant not just have your name on the roll of a church but if you're not an active participant in a local church you are functioning outside of god's will for your life Amen? Amen? Because that's how the body actually functions. It functions through the local church. And because that's how it functions, listen now, that's why our oneness in the local church is so incredibly important to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and it's not talking about the body of Christ the local church and it's not talking about Christ's body it's talking about our own physical body and he's saying for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ. In other words, that's the way that it works in Christ's body. For our physical body to function, I think we get this, it's, all, it's dependent upon our oneness. If our body's going to be functioning, it can't be disjointed, it can't be disconnected or disassociated, it can't be dismembered, right? And that's why Paul appeals to all of us in our local bodies. And not only does he appeal to us, listen, y'all, he begs us. He beseeches us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, Now I beseech you, such an incredibly strong word, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Wow. (laughs) That ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. In other words, what he's saying is that you all think the same way You all come to the same conclusions. You all make the same determinations. And and someone might say, well, man, that's a pipe dream, dude. That'll never happen. And, And I would say, well, it all depends. Because if we're all working from the same book, it will be possible. 
But I can guarantee you in this whacked out 21st century, if we're not working all out of the same book and on the same page, that is a pipe dream. But I, I do want to just remind all of us that this is God's intention for his body. That we're all members. We all function as one. We have the same mind, the same judgment, and there is no divisions among us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And again, the, the church can, can deal with a lot of things. But boy, division is just one thing that it cannot deal with. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's going to have to deal with a case of incest, incest going on in that church. In chapter 6, members suing one another. In chapter 7, they're, they're messed up on marriage and divorce. In chapter 8, they're, they're abusing their liberty in Christ. And we can just go through chapter after chapter. They get messed up on the gifts. They're messed up on the resurrection. And, and yet, after the first nine verses of just calling them sanctified and holy because they're in Christ... He starts in verse 10. And, and I, I've, I've always said, now if I were writing that letter and they were messed up on the resurrection, that's where I would start. But I'm not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit knows about this thing of the body, y'all. And man, I, I just want to encourage you to be one in this place. And do not allow anything whatsoever to bring division into this, into this place. Okay, so we've talked about who we are as the body of Christ. We've been talking about what we do. We've looked at the first five things that make us who we are. You can see in your notes, I've listed them for you. I'm not going to take the time to read them. Tonight, we're going to look at the last two, beginning with number six. Because Christ is the love of God, we must embrace an uncompromising priority on sacrificial love. Okay, so let's, let, let's talk first of all about God's love in the physical body of Christ, okay? The Bible teaches us something incredibly powerful about God's love in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Would you listen to what John says? Beloved, let us love one another. And here's why. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. And I want you to listen to this monumental statement now. For God, what, what's that next word, y'all? Is love. <laughs> and, and this is how crazy 
awesome our God is. That God doesn't just love. Love is not just simply an attribute that he possesses. I mean, (laughs) that would be awesome enough. But as I said the other night, it, it gets awesomer than that. Because God is love, which is to say that love is God's very nature. It is his very essence. You cannot dissect or separate love from God, nor can you dissect or separate God from love because they are one in the same which means that with finite minds, and especially with sinful finite minds, there would be absolutely no way for us to be able to conceive of that or perceive that or conceptualize his love. But the beautiful thing about God is God did want us to perceive it. God did want to manifest it to us. And that's why the Apostle John could say in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, Hereby, or by this, perceive we the love of God. Here's how we get it. <laughs> because he, that is Christ, laid down his life for us. And we're able to to begin to get a glimpse of the God who is love because we are able to see it through what he did in offering his son for us. He goes on in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 and says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world. And do you realize, had Christ not come, none of us could have ever perceived, none of us could have ever comprehended the love of God because it was manifested in Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Herein is love. <laughs> Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So that's how God's love was manifested in and through the physical, individual body of Christ. But through all the things that we've been talking about this week, I think you understand that that was just the beginning of God's will. And that was just the beginning of God's plan to manifest his love through the body of Christ. And so let's talk for just a second about God's love in the spiritual body of Christ. John said in 1 John chapter 4, And verse 17, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we 
in this world. L listen, y'all. God's intention is that we, the body of Christ, that now we are the ones God has in the world to manifest his love so that the world can see it. But how do we do that? What does that look like in real life? And of course, you know how the devil, devil operates. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul talks about how he, he had a fear. And the fear was that we would be moved away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And, and the way that he words it is he, he feared that the same thing that Satan, the serpent, did with Eve that he might do with us, that somehow he might take something incredibly simple and get it to where it's so confusing and, and complicated and convoluted. But i got to tell you, y'all, Jesus made this thing very simple for us. In a key passage that we find in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Now, in the passage, the religious leaders are doing what they were accustomed to doing. They're, they're wanting to trip Jesus up. And in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says that one of the scribes came. And then notice the end of verse 28. He, he asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? And of course, as he's asking that, he's not meaning first in terms of, of sequence. He's talking about first in terms of importance. In other words, hey, can you tell us what it is that God's really looking for? And, and what's interesting to me here is that this isn't really a legitimate question that the guy is asking. He, he's not asking asking this so that he can set his life to whatever the answer is he's trying to trip jesus up in his words he's trying to get jesus to step into some kind of biblical hole so they can gotcha so they're trying to delegitimize him and so no it's not a legitimate question that the guy is asking and yet jesus answers it very legitimately you're not going to trip him up with this book Verse 29 says, and Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments, the most important, if you will, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And... The second is like it, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And so again, Jesus answers the question laying out for this guy and laying out for all of us the heart and the will of God. But I want you to notice what Jesus did here. The guy asked for the biggie as far as God was concerned. Hey, what is that thing that you know, is bigger than everything else in the mind of God. And Jesus says, okay, well, I'll answer your question, but understand this. To, to answer it sufficiently, there is a twofold answer. And yet, really, it's just one 
because the two go hand in hand, and you really can't have one without the other. And he tells this guy, and he tells all of us, it comes down to this. Love God and love people. And those two things become the marks of a local body that embodies the love of God. Number one, in a local body that embodies the love of God, every person is passionately in love with God. But wow, <laughs> I mean, how would, we, how would we ever know whether or not we're doing that, right? I mean, for you to be here every night this week, I, I think that the testimony that every one of us would give is that we, we love God. And the reality is, there's probably some people in this room that do love Him. And there's probably some of us that, from a biblical perspective, we don't. But again, how, how, could we, how could we ever tell something of that magnitude? Because, I mean, you know, when it comes to this thing of loving God, I mean, isn't that really rather subjective? Well, really, it isn't. Because our New Testament reveals to us that there are at least eight characteristics that are observable in our lives if we truly love God, which actually makes this thing of loving God pretty doggone objective. And I think it's important that we know that and that we know how to know that. So I, I, I want us to take just a couple of minutes to look at these uh, I'm not planning on preaching these, but man, it's going to take everything within me not to do it. Um, so keep me honest, because we don't have time for me to preach it, but could, could we just make this deal with each other as we move through these? Would you take this to heart just as if Jesus were coming? I'm not saying I'm him. But if Jesus came tonight and says, hey, you know, a lot of you say you love me, and you're probably wondering, you know, hey, do I really? Well, here is a biblical way for you to know whether or not you love God. And so, listen, if Jesus were telling you, here's how you'll know, I think we'd all be going, oh. Okay, so let's, everybody get that face on. Okay, how can I know biblically? that I love God, okay? Now, with each one of these, I'm going to give you a key word, I'm going to give a key question, and we'll look at a key verse or, or two with it. But remember, I'm not going to be preaching these. Okay, so the first way that we know that we love God, the key word is obedience. Obedience. And the key question that I'm asking all of us to ask ourselves tonight is, Am I obedient to the Word of God? And not only that, y'all, but do I want to be obedient? 
is that the desire of my heart? And so, listen, right now, are are you answering it in your mind? Can you think of anything? I mean, is right now the Spirit of God bringing anything to your mind, an area of disobedience in your life? The key verses are 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, for this is the love of God. Here it is. Here's how you know. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. And that's why I was saying in the key question that we, we want to be obedient. His commandments aren't grievous. <laughs> Okay, I guess I'll be obedient to that. Okay, well, that's not obedience because you don't want to be. You're just a legalist. (laughs) Jesus said in John 14 and verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Six verses later, he says in verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And it's amazing to me, in light of some of these things, remember, I'm not preaching these, but it's amazing to me that Jesus can make some kind of a statement like that, people living in clear disobedience that they know about and yet claim to love God. Will come to church, raise their hands, shed their tears, and go out and live in disobedience. And I'm like, wait, huh? Jesus is still on it in verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And then drop down to verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine. Even Jesus is saying that. But the Father which sent me. In other words, these aren't the Father's words. Or my words, they're the Father's. So that's the first characteristic and the first key word, obedience. Here's the next key word, letter B. The word faith, faith. And the key question here is, do I believe God? Do I believe him? In other words, do I take him at his word? That's, to me, a, a very simple but not simplistic definition of faith. It's simply taking God at his word. The key verse is 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Whom having not seen... Ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Listen, y'all. People who love God, even though they've never seen him, they believe his word and by faith respond to it and act upon it. A third characteristic. The key word here is separation. And a key question that I'm asking all of us to ask ourselves is, do I not love the world? Do I not love the world? The key verses here, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life are not of the Father, but is of the world. That's a strong statement, and based on where we're finding this this passage, 
uh, we might have to ask ourselves, well, can Christians in the church age who are sealed with the Holy Spirit, could they love the world? And we would have to say absolutely. Probably 99.9% of us are saying, I sure hope so. And, and, and will they go to heaven when they, when they die if they love the world? Yeah, because we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But if we love the world, y'all, it is a telltale sign that we do not love God the way that he's looking for us to love him. And it's a big, hairy deal. The fourth characteristic is, the key word here is testimony. And the, the question to ask ourselves is, do people know that I love God? Is that, your, is that your testimony? And I'm not talking about what you say with your mouth. You have that testimony. I, I'm saying, do people look at your life and go, he loves God? Not, he's a churchgoer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. He has that testimony. He, he doesn't have to run around, hey, I want you to know something. I love God. It's evident by his life. The next characteristic. I, I'm not preaching these, am I? Yeah, you're doing good, Pastor Mark. Yeah, go. Thank you for that encouragement. The, the, the key word here is resistance. Resistance, and the question to ask ourselves is, do I resist temptation? The key verse here is James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Who is it that receives a crown of life, y'all? Them that what? that love him, and how is that love measured according to this verse? By resisting or enduring temptation. People who love God are not just falling off the log all the time. We all mess up, y'all. But our love for God is displayed and manifested by the fact that we resist temptation. The next characteristic is wrapped up in the key word rejoicing. Rejoicing. And the key question here is, do I rejoice at what rejoices the heart of God? Do I rejoice at what rejoices the heart of God? And the key verse here is John chapter 14 and verse 28. You, you have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice. Because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And, and so since that rejoices his heart, if we love him, it rejoices ours. And, and I'm not going to preach this, I'm just going to say this. <laughs> we have a very, very, very selfish brand of Christianity that we have embraced. And it is all about God rejoicing our hearts and doing what we want him to do. And really, it, the way it shakes out is we have invented this God that exists for us rather than us existing for him. 
And you know that you love God when the things that rejoice the heart of God, man, that's what rejoices you. Like loving His appearing. (laughs) Because in that day, He's finally going to get what He deserves. You mean to tell me that people that love God don't give a flip about Him getting what He deserves? That rejoices Him in it if we love Him. It should rejoice our heart. The seventh characteristic is wrapped up in the key word, mission. Mission. And the key question here is, am I involved in feeding the word, uh, feeding the world, the word of God? Am I involved in feeding the world, the word of God? In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, this is the infamous uh, conversation that that Jesus has with Peter. You'll remember that Peter, you know, I never deny you. And of course, he denies him three times. He's fishing after, you know, his great failure. Jesus calls him to the seashore, has this little moment with him where he asked him three times whether or not he loved him. And after every time that he asked, notice in verse 15, he tells him, feed my lambs verse 16 feed my sheep verse 17 feed my sheep listen y'all if you love god some way or another you're feeding god's sheep the word of god Uh, you know how many years has this church set its mission to making disciples the mission that we get from this book and, and what what that basically is is just feeding somebody the word of god well you know i'm not really into that okay but it's an indicator and then the eighth characteristic the key word is conforming Conforming. And the key question here, does my life give evidence of God's working all things together for the good of conforming me into the image of His Son? And the key verses here is Romans 8, 28 and 29. And it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that call themselves Christians. To them that love God. And I'd encourage you to take some, some time because I didn't have the chance to preach these. But now that you have those, I would encourage you before this conference is just a, a blur, like maybe tomorrow, why don't you just walk back through this little portion of your, your sheet and just say, Lord, I... If what you are really looking for is people that love you, man, I want that to be me. And would you just reveal any area of my life that is an indicator that I don't really love you the way that you deserve to be loved? But in a local body that embodies the love of God, every person is passionately in love with God. And then secondly, in a local body that embodies the love of God, every person is passionately in love with people. 
And so again, without preaching these, let me just quickly go through these to because the Bible is very objective about whether or not we love people. It's, it's clear biblically. We don't even have to guess, y'all. Okay, how can I know whether I love people? The first characteristic, the key word here is sacrifice. Sacrifice. And the key question is, am I willing to lay down my life for the sake of my brothers and sisters in Christ? And the key verses here is 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And it's really just simply reiterating the same truth that Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 28, or 12, verses 29 through 31, that you can't separate loving God from loving people. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. Colon. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How, how did we perceive the love of God? As it was manifested through his sacrificial love for us. He laid down his life for us. And how will the world perceive it through us it, when it is manifested through our sacrificial love for one another in the body with our brothers and sisters? The second characteristic is the key word here is compassion. Compassion. And the key question is, does the compassion of my heart reach to my hip and or to my feet? In other words, to your wallet and to your actions? And the key verses here, 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have a need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How could he say, you say you love God and you don't love people? Because the two go hand in hand. My ch little children, let us not love in, in word, neither in tongue, but in deed. In, in our actions and in truth and, and the point here is that true love manifests itself in sacrifice it doesn't matter what we say to each other hey love you man it's easy to say that but the way that it's actually manifested is in how we sacrificially meet each other's needs and then a third characteristic the key word here is God-likeness. God-likeness. And the key question is, have I become like God in that I love those who have made themselves my enemies? Yikes. The, the key verses here, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us not love, or let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. In other words, 
We ought to love people the same way that God loved us. And he wasn't waiting for us to love him first. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10 goes on to tell us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on in verse 10. Would you drop down there and look at this? He he defines sinners as us having made ourselves God's enemies. Wow. Is there anybody that has made themselves your enemy? And yet, you still love them? And then a fourth characteristic of loving people. The key word here is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And the key question, is there anybody I rationalize hating because of what they did to me, said to me, or said about me? And, and listen, y'all, it's easy to rationalize that. And the key verses here, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, if a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. And I will tell you, man, this, you know, it sounds all well and good until you get oh, stabbed in the back by a brother or sister who is just downright malicious toward you. But Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And, and man, I've, I've heard this all through my ministry. I've felt it on the inside of me. <laughs> well, that's easy to say, but you don't know what they did to me. You wouldn't say that if you knew what they did to me. And you don't know how they hurt me. Well, the fact is, y'all, we, we don't know what we did to God. And we don't know how we hurt him, and he forgave us. And now we are to forgive, according to what he says, with the same forgiveness that we have received from God because of Christ. And again, I would challenge all of us maybe to just use this little sheet for us to have a little bit of introspection to see if we love God because you cannot separate loving God from loving people and as we ponder this whole thing which is absolutely monumental for first baptist church harvest baptist uh, midtown wildwood all of the churches in the living faith fellowship listen y'all we've got to get to the place to where we passionately love god and we passionately love our brothers and sisters in the body We've got to allow God's love to be manifested through us. 
But as we're pondering all this, let me just give you six things that the Bible tells us we can love that will keep us from loving God and loving people. Okay, and I'm going to go real fast on these. First of all, the love of self. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. One of the characteristics of the Laodicean church period. Next, John 12 verses 42 to 43. The love of praise. Ugh. Number three, the love of preeminence. Third John verse 9. The love of money. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. The love of pleasure. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4. And then 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, the love of this world. Hey, y'all, you love any of those six things. If we love any of those six things, it's a key indicator that we are not going to love God and we're not going to be able to love people. Okay, and then the seventh attribute that we want to look at quickly tonight and it's this, because Christ is the light of God. Okay, now let's just stop there for a second and before we finish the sentence, okay? Because Christ is the light of God. And this, is, this one is, is close akin to the one we just looked at in the fact that this one, like love, isn't just something that God does. It is something that God is. Would you look with me at 1 John chapter 1 and, and verse 5? John tells us, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, listen to it now, that God is light. In other words, he is holy. And holiness isn't just a quality that our God possesses. It's not just an attribute that he manifests. It is his essential nature. And do you realize what that means? It means, y'all, that God cannot be anything but holy because he is light. What this verse is letting us know is that if God ever ceased to be holy, he would cease to be God. But not only would he cease to be God, he would cease to be. Because he is holiness. He is light. And 1 John 1, 5 goes on to say, And in him is how much no darkness and and i i I love that he doesn't even end it there no darkness i i think he was writing to us 21st century people who don't understand the definition of no no darkness at all and again the reason there isn't is because there can't be it's because he is light. And what verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1 is letting us know is that God is not relatively holy. 
He's not mostly holy. He's completely holy. He's supremely holy. He is perfectly holy. He is holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y holy. John says he is light. But do you realize that light is invisible? We don't actually see light. We see the effects of light. And we've seen this week that God is invisible, okay, because he is light. And yet, who actually is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. He is the invisible God made visible. We saw that in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He's the image of the invisible God. John says in John chapter 1 and verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. In other words, He, Christ, put God on display. Because you see, listen now, when, when Lucifer sinned, That original earth that we find in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it was not only submerged in water in verse 2, it was submerged in darkness. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and and you know what happens in verse 3? God turns the lights back on. (laughs) And, And of course, he goes on, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, to create man. In Genesis 2, verses 17 and 18, he tells him not to eat of the tree, lest he die. And then in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, man sins. And you know what actually happened, y'all? The world, once again, was absolutely submerged in darkness, spiritually speaking. And this is what the Holy Spirit was inspiring the Apostle John to write about in terms of Christ coming into the world. In John chapter 1, let's pick up in verse 4. In him, that is Christ, was, was life. We talked about that last night. And the life, here it comes, was the light of men. And the capital L, light, Christ, shineth... In darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This is why Romans chapter 3 and verse 11 says, There's none that understandeth. The world had gotten so utterly sinful, it had absolutely no way to comprehend the utter holiness of the God of the Bible. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, not the John the Apostle, but John the Baptist, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, with a capital L, that all men through him might believe. Put that in your Calvinist pipe and smoke it. (laughs) He, John the Baptist, was not that light, with a capital L, but was sent to bear witness of that light, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And again, put that in your pipe. And what the Spirit of God is letting us know through the Apostle John is that our Lord Jesus Christ is the true light. That is, He is the very source 
of light. Light is what comprises his being. We find Jesus reiterating that throughout John's gospel. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In John 9, verse 5, he said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, which means that all through Christ's life, in that individual physical body of Christ, he shined the light into the darkness of the world. But as we've been talking about all week, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, Christ bodily ascended to the Father's right hand, and if he was light, the light of the world, as long as he was in the world, then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, you know what happened? The lights went out again. Because he's no longer in the world, right? And he says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light. But the light was gone. But of course, this is where we come in. As the corporate, spiritual body of Christ. Listen, y'all, he now has us here. And now we are to manifest the light of God to the world. And no, we're not the source of light because we aren't the true light. But you understand the day that you and I called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, do you know what happened to us? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, shined on us and then shined in us he took up residence inside of us by his spirit and do you realize his light is in us now and the only light that the world has in this dark world is the light that is now being manifested through the body of christ would you look with me at what the Spirit of God said to us through the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15? Do all things without murmurings and disputings, because we're about to see that that's darkness. That you may be blameless, that you might be holy, that you might be light. And harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Which nation is that? Whichever one you happen to be from. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Remember, y'all, we aren't the light. But he has positioned us in the world to shine as lights in the world because we possess his light and therefore possess the ability to reflect his light in the world as long as we're not putting it under the bushel of murmurings and disputings and a bunch of other stuff that would keep us from manifesting that light to the world and the truth is, y'all, he, he took 
all of our little (laughs) insignificant dark lives and he placed his glorious light in us and then he placed us as he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 he placed us in his body right smack dab where he wanted us and yeah I can make a difference you can make a difference in our little individual lives shining in the midst of the darkness of the world and we've been called to do that But the way that God designed for this thing to function in the body of Christ is that the way that we are most effective in shining the light of God is when we do it collectively in the body. Just like Christ did through his physical body when what we've been calling body number one, and when we, the spiritual body of Christ, body number two, when we get plugged into the body of Christ in our own local church, and as we talked about earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, and all of this light, all these individual light people are gathered together, and we all speak the same thing. And there's no divisions among us. And we're perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Let me tell you, y'all, that is when we shine the light of God's holiness to the world. And that's what this whole thing is really about. Because Christ is the light of God. I'm finally going to finish that sentence now. We must embrace an uncompromising priority on Christ-like holiness. And as we've done with each of these, we've asked, okay, well, what, what would that actually look like in a local church that sets themselves to that? If, if this church... And all the churches that are represented, if we all set ourselves to actually being the light of God, what would that actually look like in the body? And here's the first thing. In a body that embodies the light of God, every person is fully acquainted with the biblical perspective of holiness. We've got to understand what holiness actually is. And so you say, well, what is the biblical perspective? Well, let's talk about it for a quick second. Okay, and and let's begin by identifying some of the, the basic truths concerning holiness. First of all, letter A, holiness includes three things. Number one, it includes God setting me apart. And that's certainly part of this thing of holiness, y'all, but, but listen, that's only a third part of it. It also includes, number two, God setting me apart from the world. And, and I know that that sounds like this all-inclusive definition of holiness, but that's actually just two-thirds of it, because true biblical holiness is God setting me apart from the world and unto himself and do you hear the difference in that (laughs) and and i put it in your notes this way it's not just from 
but to. It's not just from, but to. Paul was talking in Acts 26 and verse 18 about what God had sent him to do. And, and here's the way that he put it. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness. Is that what it says? That's part of it. <laughs> to turn them from darkness to light. And he sent me to turn them from the power of Satan. Unto God. It's not just from, but to. And I got to tell you, y'all, a lot of people in Baptist churches miss that. A lot of people all over the world miss that. But a lot of us in Baptist churches especially miss that. Because what people think is that biblical holiness is all about what we don't do. And sometimes I, I think the world you know, sees us coming and, oh, here comes the don't people. And, and they can look and they can see all the stuff that we don't do. They see that we've swept out all of the demons of smoking and token and drinking and cussing and carousing. But they really have a hard time seeing what it is that we actually do. And maybe we could just ask ourselves, do we... manifest the fruit of the spirit love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance do we do that or are we just the don't people and we got stuff that we've been separated from but not the two and again true holiness is not just from but two and then next it's not just off but on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. How about that little superlative? True holiness. Because, listen, y'all, do you understand that if all we've done is put off the old man but haven't put on the new man, it isn't actually true holiness. It is false holiness that Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 26, will actually come back to bite us hard. That's the passage where he talks about, you know, cleaning out the demon in the house, but we haven't replaced it. And demons seven times stronger come back into the thing. L listen, y'all, it, it's not just off, but on. And then next, it's not just out, but in. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people. <laughs> Notice all the des descriptive terms of the life of holiness that we've been called to. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you, listen to how he describes it now, out of darkness into his marvelous light. But he does that so he can do this. But if all that happens is that, and we haven't done this, it is not true holiness. And again, it will slap us 
hard. We've got to get a perspective of what this thing of holiness actually is. But not only does holiness include those three things, but letter B, holiness involves three entities. First of all, it involves God. Secondly, it involves me. And thirdly, it involves the world. Meaning this, it is God's will. I'm I'm talking about our holiness, y'all. It is God's will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 says this, For this is the will of God. You've been searching for the will of God? Here it is. (laughs) Even your sanctification. And so it is God's will. Secondly, it is my calling. In that same 1 Thessalonians 4 chapter, four verses later, in verse 7, Paul says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And then next, it is the world's only hope. It involves God. It's His will. It involves me. It's my calling. But it involves the world because That is the only hope, is if we will live a holy life before them. I put it in your notes this way because I I, I think it's so significant that we get this. Holiness is not an end in itself. Holiness doesn't just have to do with personal sanctification. It has to do with world evangelization. You remember that verse, or the verses we just looked at a few minutes ago in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, we looked at that. Let me put it in the, with verse 16, look at it again in verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, in other words, so that you can look like the holy people that you actually are, the sons of God without rebuke, nobody questioning who we are. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And all of that is so, verse 16, we can spend our lives holding forth the word of life. Listen, some of us are holding forth the word of life, but not from the platform of holiness. And if you want to talk about an ineffective witness, that's what we're talking about. But listen, when God's people will live a holy life and understand who they are, that we have been called to manifest the light of God and personal holiness in our life so that we can hold forth the word of God of life. I, again, I want to say to you, holiness is not just about personal sanctification, but world evangelization. We hold forth the word of life, y'all, from the platform of a holy life. And then in a local body that embodies the light of God, as we just talked about, every person's fully acquainted with the perspective concerning holiness. And then lastly, in a local body that embodies the light of God, every person is fully living out the biblical scope of holiness. Because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7 lets us know that first of all, letter A, 
Holiness has to do with our relationship to our bodies. And again, I'm not going to have the time to preach this, but the Holy Spirit of God lives in all of the people that is presumably in this room. And I wish we had time to get into it. Let, let me just call your attention to verses 3 through 5. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, sexual sin of any kind, that every one of you, every one of you that have the light of God in you, he's saying, that you know how to possess this vessel, our, our bodies, in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. The people who do that, that's the lost people of the world. That's not us. God's people know how to possess these vessels. And again, I, I, I don't have time to em embellish that, but could, could I just ask you, do you know how to possess your vessel? As, as the Spirit of God is showing us the Word of God, is, is there anything that comes to your mind? If we're ever really going to be what God wants us to be as the body, y'all, we've got to get to the place to where we're shining His light, and it has to do with our relationship with our bodies, but not only that, holiness has to do with our relationship with our brothers. Verse 6 says that no man go beyond, go out of bounds, and defraud his brother, take advantage of his brother. Listen to it. In any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and testified you. Listen, if you're a child of God, and you're messing with another child of God, God's going to mess with you. Because this is important. And again, in verse 7, he reiterates it again. And oh my goodness, y'all, can we please hear it tonight? For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Why? Because we're the body of God. Christ and we have been called to manifest him who is light him who is holy to a lost world so that they might be able to comprehend who the God of the Bible actually is so we've looked at seven attributes uh, of Christ I, I've I've done my best and i know man we have looked at a zillion verses over the last few nights I've, I've done my best to try to get us to see how these attributes of christ are to be what we're all about and, and seeing what, what what the bible says about how we manifest that Man, this is, this is our job description. This is our philosophy of ministry. These are the things that we have got to make sure that we are all about. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, man, when it comes to
love and light, these two things that actually define your very essence and your nature. Lord, we just confess how desperately we need You. If there's anything that I think we struggle with in these last days of the Laodicean church period, it would be loving You, loving our brothers, and personal holiness. And so, Lord, I I pray that... uh, at this conference that this will be a line in the sand for us to where we really actually do begin to allow who you are to be manifested in us individually and corporately as the body of Christ.